you all. I don't think we have anybody in the hospital at the moment, which is good. But let's pray. Father, for our food and the day, we thank you. Especially our hearts are heavy as we see all the things that are going on in the Mideast, the things that we see going on uh, in Somalia, and the things that we see going on in the Ukraine. And Father, we realize that from Psalm 2, you say that the kings of the earth and the rulers have taken counsel against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed. And that the scriptures tell us that we should anticipate this kind of upheaval. And so since it is an upheaval against the Lord and his anointed, we pray that you would rule and overrule in all these things. You said that the gates of hell will not stand against the advance of the church. And so our prayer would be for the advance of your church in the world. And where you took people that were very much like these in Saul of Tarsus and made him the Apostle Paul, we know that you can change these people's hearts as well. You've changed our hearts. We pray for their salvation, but we pray too for the end of these atrocities. And we pray that you would give guidance to the other nations of the world in regard to this. And so as we come in the middle of our work week, we pray that you would speak to us through your word to give us comfort and give us direction on how we should live um, in our families and in our communities and in this church and in the world for your honor and glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you want to turn to Colossians chapter 1, I want to begin reading at the very first verse. Now, in this book, that this letter that Paul's writing, it's, it's somewhat unique in the sense that Paul didn't plant this church. Paul probably trained this man, Epaphras, who did plant this church. And this man, Epaphras, has run into some things that required the counsel of the apostle. And so, with the kind of spiritual warfare that was going on in this region, he writes to Paul and lays out the need, and Paul, in turn, writes this letter. So, beginning in verse 1, we see it's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed it, in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Now, when we talk about true spirituality, one of the most obvious ways that our own personal spirituality demonstrates itself, and one of the primary ways that it can grow, is through the exercise of prayer. And so, Paul writes to this church. Now, he's going to pray for this church. At the end of this epistle, he's going to ask this church to pray for him. So it's always a back and forth thing with the Apostle Paul in his relationship with these churches that he is seeking to give guidance to. Now, Paul's perspective on this church is incredibly important for us to grasp. And if you were to look in the first few verses here, beginning in verse 4, we see three things that Paul, well, four things that Paul's going to say about this church. These are the marks of a healthy church. This, in Paul's mind, would really be an excellent church. So you see here that these people in Colossae, that they have faith, and that faith is in Christ Jesus. So you see this opening line here, spiritual health. The church has faith in the object that God has set forth as saving faith. It's not just faith in general. It's not the faith that our mothers had or anything like that. It's a personal faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing you see that they have is that they have love for all the saints. Now, you can get into some churches that have, you know, a big center aisle down the middle of them, and you can have the Hatfields and the McCoys in that church, and I'm sure you've experienced that situation. Uh, That should never be. These people, when it says here they have love for all the saints, the two biggest divides in the world of that day were the divide that existed between the Jews and the non-Jews, or the Gentiles, or the Greeks, however you would want to call those people that were non-Jews. The people that were in this church, because of their faith in Christ Jesus, their lives had transcended in Christ this antipathy. And it had brought these people together in Christ, and they loved one another the Jew for the Gentile, the Gentile for the Jew. Paul continues in chapter 3, verse 11, and he talks about this, and he says, in Christ there's no distinction between, and it's interesting, him being a Jew, he puts the word Gentile first. There's no distinction between a Gentile and a Jew. Then he says circumcision or uncircumcision. Then he goes on and he says between a Scythian or a barbarian, a free man or a slave, 
There is no distinction in Christ. All are on the same level playing field in Christ Jesus. I remember right after I became a Christian in South Florida, the song that everybody was singing was, We Are One in the Spirit. And it was a very true expression that we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. That's where our unity is found. This is church with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These people have a love for all the saints, but they also have something that faith creates, which is the pulling of the faithful into the future. They have a hope, and it's said it's laid up for them in heaven, which means the person of Christ has ascended into the heaven at the right hand of God, and he will return. Now, this begins to be fleshed out in the rest of the chapter. This hope is called the hope of glory, Christ in you. And then in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, it says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you'll be revealed with him in glory. And so these people had faith, they had love, they had hope, And then you see in verse 8, they have love in the Spirit. These people have a kind of love that has been created by the power of the Holy Spirit working in them as a body. Uh, It's more than me having love in the Spirit and you having love in the Spirit and a few others in the room having love in the Spirit Love in the Spirit seems to be something that, as it were, transcended the whole church. It was something for which they were known. And the man Epaphras communicated that to Paul. Paul recognizes it and expresses his gratitude in knowing these things about this church. This is a very healthy church. We should be thankful for the expression that we see here. Now, when we say it's a very healthy church, it doesn't mean that this church does not face opposition, problems, confusion, need. It does. Any healthy church today, at any given time, individual Christians, we can have all these things, faith, hope, love, the Holy Spirit's power working in us, and still we can have the, the problems that come up because of the life that we're living and the time that we're living that cause us to have need. And so it's that need that Paul begins to express when he begins to pray for these people beginning in verse 9. Now notice as we go back a few verses, it says he's always praying for them. He's always thanking God for them since he's heard of it. That's repeated here in verse 9. Paul prays this way all the time. I just want to stop. I just want to stop for a second. A great deal of my praying is praying for my wife. It's praying for our three children, that they would walk with the Lord. It's praying uh, most recently for Pat's mother who was passing. We've got, uh, uh, she's got a sister who's had a liver transplant. There's complications. 
we have a nephew who's on his way with Wycliffe back to Thailand right now. He'll be there the first of the week, and he has something called silk route disease. You can look it up. It's not a good thing. But he feels called, and he's going back. Now, we're praying for these things. Now, I would venture to say many of you are praying pretty much the same way I'm praying. Uh, you've got the little things that would be different from my prayers, and they would make them your prayers, but they're very much the same. We should never stop praying that way. That's important. But spirituality grows and matures more as we pray back the things that we find in Scripture, the things that God has revealed by the Holy Spirit as things that are important, and we should pray that these things would be realized in our life, but we should look at a prayer like the Lord's Prayer. Remember when Jesus said he opened his mouth and he said, Our Father, and then we've learned that prayer. We should use that as an outline for our praying. That will develop a great deal more spirituality in us than us merely praying about our mate, praying about our children, praying about our family and other things that concern us, we pray back to the Lord the prayers that we find in Scripture. So Paul is praying for a church in its need. Now, that's a wonderful thing that we have recorded, but it's recorded so that we would use that prayer in some way, shape, or form as a prayer that we may pray for ourselves and for our church in particular, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in general. Now, the first thing that we see that Paul begins about in verse 9, he's praying and he's not stopping. He's doing this all the time. He's asking that these people be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There is a need to know. That's just the bottom line. There will always be a need to know. When I became a Christian at age 22, I had a lot that I needed to know. I'd been raised in a church, but I hadn't been applying the things that I'd learned in the church for those first 22 years. And I had been applying a lot of things that were contrary to everything that I'd learned in that church. I'd been applying those things for 22 years. Now I've become a Christian. It's important for me to get in the know. Well, I'm 65. I know a lot more now, both intellectually and experientially, than I knew then. But I am still in the need to know. Life goes on. The vicissitudes of life go on. This will not change. I am in a living relationship with Jesus who is always in the know. I'm in a living relationship with Jesus with someone who has the ability to change things. I have, I'm in a living relationship with one who is able not merely to change me, but to change the circumstances around me and change the, the context of other people's lives as I pray. One man who uh, 
married a girl from sub-south Macon years and years ago, and he spoke here at the church, Dallas Willard, in one of his books talking about the whole aspect of child rearing. He said, you know, you can do more good talking to God about your children than talking to your children about God. Now just think of that. You can do a lot more good talking to God about your children than you can talking to your children about God. We need to see the power of prayer. That's what's being recognized here. You know, I showed up at Paris Island, South Carolina in 1967. They took us inside, they put a box on a table, and we put everything in the box, and we sent it home. Then they gave us all the equipment and stuff that we needed, and they basically said, you need to forget all your old ways. You need to come to understand the Marine Corps way. And that's, you know, we were trained to think that way. When I was 22, I came to faith. There were many things that were a part of the warp and the woof of the way I conducted my day-to-day living. Those things basically lost their power and authority and grasp upon me. In Christ, the Father, the Holy Spirit took up their residence within me. I was changed but I needed to know what was the direction in which I was to go with this life. So you look at the scripture and you pray. And as you begin to do that, you find that the Lord God Almighty is pouring himself into you day after day after day, making you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Knowledge comes from content. Our Eastern religions believe in meditation, and their meditation is to zero themselves out. Basically, their goal is to not be thinking, just to be meditating to being alive and breathing and not even sure about that. And this experience that they have becomes a kind of a catharsis, a deep radical cleansing in their hearts and minds. But it does not move them forward because there's no content. We look to the scripture And the scripture tells us who God is and what the duty that God requires of man is. And so we're constantly looking at the scripture and saying, is this, Lord, the direction you want me to go? When we pray, we're saying, Lord, how and what of what you're teaching me needs to be brought to bear on my life now? What do I need to be doing? What do I need to be thinking? And, of course, the, the big patterns of behavior become very clear. And then as you show yourself faithful in these things and as you pray about these things, 
then the Lord begins to reveal smaller things and deeper things. And, and all of a sudden, you begin to see a living relationship with a living, sovereign, divine person is making spiritual changes in the fabric of your character. The Word of God, asking the Lord, what is it that you want? And you find that there's a displacement. Now, when it says here, filled, the word is very unique. It's not just the word that you'd say, um, let me have a glass of water. And someone is going to give you a glass of water, but they're not going to fill the glass because they, they know that you'll spill it. So they only put so much liquid in the glass, and then they leave you a comfortable margin. That's not what we're thinking about here. When it says full, it's a full displacement. It's filled to the full so that nothing else is there. That's the idea that you have here when Paul prays that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in such a way that it would displace this other way of thinking. Now he says it's spiritual wisdom and understanding, and basically uh, the ideas here are practical. It's not that we're to learn deep theology. I mean, I get tickled when I hear certain people preaching and bringing up, you know, um, obscure points of theology. Now, I want you to know in most cases I know more about what they're talking about than most of them that are talking because I've read tons in these areas. But if I was to start throwing this language of technical theology around, you might grow in knowledge, but you wouldn't grow in wisdom and understanding very much. Wisdom and understanding are the kinds of things that make life life. It's the kind of stuff, as we say, where the rubber meets the road kind of wisdom and understanding. Wisdom in the Old Testament was the wisdom that gave the artistic people the ability to create all the things that were in the uh, tabernacle in the wilderness or all the things that were a part of the temple this kind of artistry was practical and it demonstrated itself in beauty wisdom and understanding of how to live a life is to be prayed for like silver and sought for like gold we sing the song, May the mind of Christ my Savior rule in me from day to day. That's what we're talking about here. The ability to trust then leads to the ability to obey. And so we see the second thing here in verse 10. We're to pray to do the will of the Father in such a manner like Jesus did the Father's will. Um, Andy and I were just going back and forth a few minutes this morning in the office. We were talking about, about a book by Dallas Willard, and, and he talks about uh, 
some people that were teaching philosophy at Harvard University, probably back in the 70s, and the students were taking courses in philosophy in the ability to understand what is good. But in that chapter, it's the first chapter of that book, uh, it became very clear that all the professors could discuss it, they could teach it, they didn't understand it. A young lady came and she said, you know, I'm from the Midwest, she's talking to one of her professors, she's leaving Harvard, she's on a scholarship, and the professor says, well, tell me, why are you leaving? says, well, you know, my family doesn't have the money to keep me here, and as a part of my work on campus, I clean the dormitories of young men who are in the very class that I'm taking that you're leading. And all they do from the time I walk in is run around in one stage of undress or another, and they're constantly propositioning me while I'm cleaning their room. You know, you are teaching these students about what is good, but you have no ability to teach them how to be good. And you know, the professor gave her no answer, and she left. Now, that's the way it is in the world today. People can know that there is something good. They can know that something's not good, but they're even reticent to call something that's not good bad. And we're seeing that. We are to be salt and light in our community. And the way that we're best salt and light in the community is when we can live decisively for the good. So Jesus is a model here, and Jesus is the one we're to please here. We're not to be pleasing other people. To do the Father's will like Jesus did the Father's world. If we're dismayed with our prayer life, here's a place to begin. Are you dismayed with your thought life? Is your thought life, the things that you let rumble and tumble through here, the things that you would want put up, if we could put this screen down, would you want this morning's thought lives broadcast on that screen in color? You say, well, no. Um, well, you don't have to leave this alone. This is true spirituality. Jesus said it's not the external things, but it's the internal things. Out of the heart come these things, and then he lists these things. Jesus, when challenged about not washing cups, said to the Pharisees, wash the inside of the cup and the outside will take care of itself. True spirituality is the reality that Jesus knows our thought life. And we pray that our thought life would reflect his will. Now, the next thing is our outward conduct and our words. You do not have to be where you're at. I deal with people from time to time that tell me about their anger. And it's very, very common for people just to say, I'm just an angry person. 
That's just the person I am. Well, my daughter came to me one time and she said, you know, I just keep finding myself being angry. Well, I appreciated that. A daughter is telling her daddy that. Now, she's obviously looking for some help. I said, well, here, I'll give you a great spiritual assignment. She said, what? I says, go into the mirror. Don't look at your chin or your forehead or your ears or your makeup. Look at your eyes and say this Bible verse, anger resides in the bosom of a fool. But make sure when you say it, you're looking in your eyes in the mirror. How does it feel? Anger resides at the bosom of fool. Later on, Paul's going to say, lay it all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech, and don't be lying to one another. We have the ability through the power of Jesus in our lives, through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, through the direction of the scripture to know what is right and what is good. And we're told here that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and we can please him in the fine fabric of our life in every respect. And we should be praying, this is true spirituality, that our outward life would reflect the inward reality of our faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we need to pray, Lord, help me to do what I need to do. Help me to live as becomes a follower of Jesus. Help me to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. Help me to please you in every respect. Now, the Lord loves to answer those prayers. It's just a reality. This is what the Lord wants to do. You have not, because you don't ask. If you believe this is what it means, this is what you should be asking that the Lord would do. When we trust Jesus with our life, when we ask Jesus to change our conduct, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all will make those changes in your life will surprise you. Your life will surprise you. It will do it. Thoughts that are dominating you right now will be replaced by good thoughts. Again, the scriptures, the standards. You'll find you'll express yourself differently you'll find that you are less often perturbed and put out. God is at work in you in this, to will and to do his good pleasure. Other people won't see it. They won't see the machines and wheels of God's work turning in you, but they will notice the change in your conduct. I've talked to people in marriages. You know, it's always wonderful when the wife brings the husband. It's almost always that way. It periodically the husband will drag the wife in. That's much rarer. The husbands seem to be more willing to come, I hate to say it, than the wives in a situation like this. But oftentimes I'll talk to the wife and she wants me to talk about who? But guess who's not there? The husband. So who am I left to talk with? 
And when I start to address the wife, what's the wife say? I want you to change him. (laughs) Over and over, good, good psychology will tell you this. Just change one person in the equation and the whole equation will change. One person in the equation changes. The whole equation changes. If I can help the wife in the fine fabric of making changes, the husband almost invariably responds appropriately. We need to see this. The last thing I want to say is God gives power. When we ask in verse 11 for power, God's power is in your life as a tremendously and powerful spiritual reality. There was a young man named Jacob de Shazer. He was a part of the Doolittle Raiders. He was one of the young people that was captured. He was tried. He was put in a prison in China. He was there for almost three full years. He was tortured. He was starved. He hated the Japanese. Toward the end of that imprisonment, he had a New Testament that he was told that he would have for a week to ten days, and then it had to be passed on. And he reread and reread that New Testament during that period of time. During every sliver of light, he was reading the New Testament. Well, needless to say, he was converted before he gave the New Testament up. And he went immediately from hating his captors to loving them. He ended up spending his life in Japan as a missionary to the Japanese. Saul of Tarsus was a violent persecutor of the church. He wrote 1 Corinthians 13. People are able to change that dramatically. But the power that God brings is not a power to make us great. The power that the Holy Spirit brings is order that we would be patient with other Christians and we would have a type of forbearance from outside pressures that are brought to bear upon us by the world. And so our spiritual transformation of giving us power is not to make us great, but it's to make us small. It's to make us small so that Jesus will be great. When we see others as more important than ourselves, when we see the needs of others before we see our own needs, when we can say in truth, but for the grace of God, there go I. When we can look like that, we find ourselves having a proper sense that we are his servants. We're his hands. We're his feet. We're his to use. As we allow the power of God to flow in us like that, then Jesus becomes great. That should be our goal. That's the prayer. Well, we'll continue with this later. Let's pray now. Father, that you would spiritually change us in the manner in which Paul prays, that we would be filled with scriptural knowledge, that we would have your desires in our heart to please you, Lord Jesus, and that we'd have the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to make us people of patience and forbearance. 
and that we would think of others more highly than we think of ourselves. Now, to this end, we would ask that you would grant us the answers to our prayer. And we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.